Good morning, and welcome to Overeaters Anonymous, a Vision for You Big Book Study. My name is Lisa H., and I'm a grateful, recovered, compulsive overeater. Today is Wednesday, February 21st, 2018. This is the 7 a.m. Eastern Time Meeting. Today, we're reading from the big book, and we're on page 30, chapter 3, more about alcoholism. Beginning with the first paragraph, most of us have been unwilling and reading that paragraph and commenting on that one paragraph. Today's readers are, for the 12 Steps, Anita L., the 12 Traditions, Holly F., and the readers of the text, Lisa B. and Maura Z. Our newcomer greeter is Kathy M., and the host for the second hour is Hoodie R. Reference numbers for yesterday, Tuesday, February 20th, the 7 a.m. Eastern Time Meeting is 11,069. So that's 11069. For the 10 a.m. meeting, it's 11,071, or 11071. OA Preamble. Overeaters Anonymous is a fellowship of individuals who, through shared experience, strength, and hope, are recovering from compulsive overeating. We welcome everyone who wants to stop eating compulsively. There are no dues or fees for members. We are self-supporting through our own contributions, neither soliciting nor accepting outside donations. OA is not affiliated with any public or private organization, political movement, ideology, or religious doctrine. We take no position on outside issues. Our primary purpose is to abstain from compulsive eating and compulsive food behaviors and to carry the message of recovery through the 12 steps of OA to those who still suffer. Our sole purpose. OA's fifth tradition states, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. At a Vision for You Big Book study, our message is that people who suffer from compulsive overeating can recover through abstinence and practice of the 12 steps and 12 traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. I will now ask Anita L. to please read the 12 steps. Good morning, everyone. This is Anita L. from outside of Philadelphia. The 12 steps. One, we admitted we were powerless over food, that our lives have become unmanageable. Two, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Three, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. Four, made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. Five, admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs. Six, we're entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. Seven, humbly asked him to remove our shortcomings. Eight, made a list of all persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. Nine, made direct amends to such people wherever possible, except when to do so would injure them or others. Ten, continued to take personal inventory, and when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. Eleven, sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood him, praying only for knowledge of his will for us and the power to carry that out. Twelve, 
Having had a spiritual awakening as the result of these steps, we tried to carry this message to compulsive overeaters and to practice these principles in all our affairs. Thank you, and with that, I pass. Have a great day. Thank you, Anita L. And I'll now ask Holly S. to please read the 12 Traditions. Good morning. This is Holly S. from Texas, a grateful, recovering, compulsive overeater. The 12 Traditions. One, our common welfare should come first. Personal recovery depends upon OA unity. Two, for our group purpose, there is but one ultimate authority, a loving God as he may express himself in our group conscience. Our leaders are but trusted servants. They do not govern. Three, the only requirement for OA membership is a desire to stop eating compulsively. Four, each group should be autonomous except in matters affecting other groups or OA as a whole. Five, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. Six, an OA group ought never endorse, finance, or lend the OA name to any related facility or outside enterprise, lest problems of money, property, and prestige divert us from our primary purpose. Seven, every OA group ought to be fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions. Eight, Overeaters Anonymous should remain forever non-professional, but our service centers may employ special workers. Nine, OA as such ought never be organized, but we may create service boards or committees directly responsible to those they serve. Ten, Overeaters Anonymous has no opinion on outside issues. Hence, the OA name ought never be drawn into public controversy. Eleven, our public relations policy is based on attraction rather than promotion. We need always maintain personal anonymity at the level of press, radio, films, television, and other public media of communication. Twelve, anonymity is the spiritual foundation of all these traditions ever reminding us to place principles before personalities. Thank you for your service today and allowing me to serve. Thank you, Holly F. How our meeting works. Our meeting focuses on the directions for recovery described in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. We read a paragraph or two from the literature, then stop and share on what was read. Anyone can share, but we ask that you keep your sharing to the topic and literature we are discussing and that you keep your share to approximately three minutes. Singleness of purpose reminds us to identify as compulsive overeaters only. Our abstinence requirement for moderators is one year and for readers is six months. There is no abstinence requirement for sharing on topic. This meeting does request that your sharing be directly linked to what was read. We are sharing what the directions in the big book mean to us. To share, press star 1 to unmute. Once you're done sharing, let us know by saying pass. Then press star 1 to mute your phone. In order to have a quiet meeting, everyone's phone except the speakers should be muted. Today we resume our study of the big book on page 30, chapter 3, more about alcoholism. We'll read the first paragraph only, beginning most of us have been unwilling ending in Gates of Insanity or Death, and commenting on that paragraph. And Lisa B., would you please get us started? 
Good morning. My name is Lisa B. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater in Greenville, South Carolina. Chapter 3, more about alcoholism. Most of us have been unwilling to admit we were real alcoholics. No person likes to think he is bodily and mentally different from his fellows. Therefore, it is not surprising that our drinking careers have been characterized by countless vain attempts to prove we could drink like other people. The idea that somehow, someday, he will control and enjoy his drinking is the great obsession of every abnormal drinker. The persistence of this illusion is astonishing. Many pursue it into the gates of insanity or death. Well, this is a perfect description of what goes on in in my mind um, when I'm I can see and I know in my gut that something is very wrong. Something is really seriously wrong, and I'm screwed. And I knew that many many years ago. But I keep thinking that somehow I'm I'm going to find a way to get on top of this, that I will manage, I will manage, I will prove, you know, which means demonstrate the truth or existence of something by evidence or argument. And I would always think if there's just some way, you know, and I I tried everything, I tried everything. And there's so many words in in this reading that jump out for me. And one is unwilling, which means not ready or prepared to do something. Well, that's a serious problem when I'm dealing with a disease that means death. Maybe death in my spirit and soul first, a long time before my body, but it is a deadly, deadly disease. It could be suicide that eventually comes to me as a result of this illness, which resides in my mind and my body. And then I think, you know, how does one become willing? Well, in step one in the 12 and 12, it says that we need to be willing to listen as a dying can be. We need to become open-minded to conviction. And that comes as a result of pain, which is so unfortunate, you know, and some of us are thicker and sicker than others. And some of us go on and on and on, decades, decades, decades into our older years until we finally are willing to see that that maybe there is something here that this big book has right. And then it says the persistence of this illusion is astonishing, astonishing. Illusion is wrongly perceived by the senses, a hallucination mirage you know and then I love that word real real alcoholic real compulsive overeater which means actually existing it's not imagined and I think for me um, seeing that there are recovered people out there and hearing them and hearing the joy and freedom in their voices is what began to happen to me and I became willing to listen as a dying person could be but I first got a spark of hope by being surrounded by recovered individuals and believing that it is possible to recover. So with that, I pass. Thank you. Thank you, Lisa. Um, So now the lines will be opened for people that would like to share on what Lisa read. Katie G. Harlan G. Rowan. Melissa. Rita K. Madam. Okay, let me tell you what I got. I'm going to stop, and I might have missed somebody, um, and you may have to remind me of the first initial of your last name. But I have Katie G. I have Tina S., Harlan G., Rowan, I think it's M., Melissa C., I think Rita, and and Matt M. So let's start with Katie G. It wasn't 
It wasn't Tina S. I think it might have been Gina. Oh. Not sure. Yeah. <laughs> this is Tina, and I didn't say my name. So. <laughs> Sorry. Thank you. Thank you. Uh-huh. Yes, okay. it was Gina right. Gina S. Okay, thank you so much. All right, Katie G., you're up first, followed by Gina S. Good morning, Lisa. Good morning, my fellows. This is Katie G., Recovered Compulsive Overeater, Anorexic, and Bulimic. Going ahead and starting my timer. Yeah, so I've heard this chapter called more about relapse, right? So we get a solution. There is a solution. We're like psyched. We're stoked. We're reading about the solution. I was pretty excited. And now we're talking about the disease again. Um, Why are we talking about that? Because I don't know about you, but I am a hard nut to crack. Why? Because I'm Katie G from Boston. I don't want to be bodily and mentally different from you. I don't want to be a compulsive overeater. Like, I remember when I first learned about Overeaters Anonymous, I was like, that is the unsexiest, uncoolest program that I could ever do. Like sticking my finger down my throat and drinking Ipecac and throwing up in the middle of Northampton, Massachusetts on a beautiful sunny day as a solution to my life. That was pretty sexy, but I'm not willing to join a program called Overeaters Anonymous, right? Love it. Love it. The great I am. Like, I'm going to control it. And even within program, I'm not bodily and mentally different from you. I'm going to take this abstinent food and I'm going to turn it into a concoction so you know that even though I say I'm in Overeaters Anonymous, I'm not different than you, right? Like, I'm the same. I'm done. I'm done. As a recovered woman today, I don't have to, like, I'm different. I'm different. I surrender. Like on my wedding day with my pretty, pretty princess dress, I was weighing and measuring my food. I was lying down trying to eat my weight and measured food. Why? Because I want to show up, right? Like I am bodily and mentally indifferent, mentally different, but I don't want to talk about it, right? And it became my great obsession. Let me prove to you that I am not that I'm not different and that, um, you know, this illusion, this deceiving, misleading image and insanity, it's dementia, guys. It's lunacy. It's madness. Like, I am, you know, an apple and I keep trying to prove to the world that I'm an onion. Like, I will pursue it into the gates of insanity. Like, I can do this. I, The great I am. And, you know, the greatest thing about being a recovered woman today is, like, I'm bodily and mentally indifferent. I cannot have flour and sugar in quantities. I cannot, you know, engage in certain activities um, around my exercise and things like that. And and I don't have to prove that I'm normal anymore. I know that I'm not normal. And thank you, God, that is that is the beginning. Like I don't. That is the beginning of my freedom, right? Because once I understand, like I'm powerless, I'm hopeless, I'm insane right? That is the beginning of my freedom because from there, I'm broken down and willing enough to go the length that I have to go to to work these steps like my booty's on fire because it is each and every day to recover and continue one day at a time. And I am always privileged to walk this with you guys one more day, shoulder to shoulder, and to not and to know that I'm not all there because I'm here in this program because I'm not all there. And with that, I do pass. Thank you, Katie G. And Gina S., you're up, followed by Harlan G. Hi, this is Gina F., recovered in Connecticut, and I'm just starting my timer here. Um, So this is my absolute favorite paragraph in the entire book um, because the first time I read it and every single time I've read it since, it just 
for me, this hits me so hard. Um, this breaks down my walls, the words in this paragraph, and they're so powerful. Um, because yes, I absolutely did not want to believe I was bodily and mentally different than anyone else. And the, the evidence of my life was characterized by countless vain attempts to control and enjoy my eating, to prove that I was not different from anyone else. Um, and it was my great obsession. It just consumed my brain day after day. What was I going to eat? What was I not going to eat? When was I going to eat? How many calories are in this? Or depending on where I was in my disease, you know, how can I get the substance that I need to uh, reduce the pain of, and to numb the pain of living? Um, it was insane. And, and just the imagery of pursuing it to the gates of insanity or death, I was in denial of that for a long time. Um, you know, I had some abstinence in this program, but I was not in acceptance that I was bodily and mentally different. You know, I'd go to uh, events and be white-knuckling my abstinence and be resentful that I couldn't eat the same foods that other people could eat. Um, whenever I would find myself in the food again, I'd be baffled um, and uh, frustrated. And that, that is a lack of acceptance that I have this disease for me to be like, how can I get here again? Well, that's me not admitting my powerlessness. It's me still thinking that I can exercise a measure of control over this disease. It's me not recognizing that my mind is different than normal people's. And until I could surrender to the fact that I am bodily and mentally different, to let go of the expectation that I should be able to eat like other people, and to let go of the expectation that I should be able to control this disease through knowledge, um, I had no recovery, no lasting recovery. So um, until, until I admitted that I was pursuing this obsession to the gates of insanity and death, I was not able to fully surrender to this program and to do the steps completely and with complete abandon. And that was what was required for me to reach recovery. So, again, my favorite paragraph, so powerful. Thank you all for being here today, and I pass. Thank you, Gina S. And Harlan G., you're up, followed by Roanne M. Thank you, and thank you to Team Wednesday for making this magnificent meeting possible. I'm Harlan G. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater in Scottsdale, Arizona. For as far back as I can remember, People have been screaming at me and telling me I eat too much food. For as far back as I can remember, people have been telling me I'm too fat. And for as far back as I can remember, people have been telling me that I can control this on my willpower. Doctors, adults, children, teachers, Whoever you want to name in your mind told me a lie, two lies. Number one lie, you can control this if you will exercise your willpower and push yourself away from the table and just eat one or just eat half 
or just eat this instead of that, then you'll be like everyone else. And I believed it because everybody told it to me and I wanted to believe it. With every fiber of my being, I wanted to be like the other kids. No one told me, you have an illness which only a spiritual awakening as the result of the steps will alleviate. They also told me, don't eat so much, you'll feel better. They were right. When I hunker down on my willpower and I stay on a diet for X amount of days, weeks, months, I do feel better. I feel fear better. I feel anger better. I feel jealousy better. I feel crushes on girls better. I feel like killing myself better. But I don't feel like eating less food. I feel like eating more food. I am bodily, the allergy, and mentally, the twist, different from other people. About 90% of the people in the world don't have the reactions that I have. Thank God there's 10% like you that do. The idea that somehow he will control and enjoy. When I controlled my food, I couldn't enjoy it. When I enjoyed my food, I couldn't control it. Is the great obsession. What is an obsession? It's a thought that pushes aside all thought to the contrary of every abnormal drinker. This persistence of illusion, something that appears real but is not, is astonishing. Many pursue it to the gates of insanity or death. I had a size 48-inch waist as a senior in high school. I was 335 pounds as a senior in high school. By the time I was a sophomore in college, I was 500 pounds. By the time I was 500 pounds, I had towels shoved between layers of flab. I had such profuse edema swelling in my lower extremities that pus used to run out in dime and penny size ulcers in the back of my legs, and I was in my Time. early 20s. I am not like other people, and I never will be. Thank God there's a place I can go called OA. With that, I'll pass. Thank you. Thank you, Harlan G. And Rowan M., you're up, followed by Melissa C. Good morning. Um, this is Rowan. I'm calling in from New York, a gratefully recovered compulsive overeater. I also love this paragraph. It really hits home for me. I was unwilling to admit that I was a real alcoholic. I was a bathtub gin alcoholic with the food, meaning I had no control. I had no willpower. I was able to control my food at certain periods of my life, which was me being on a diet, but it was never sustainable. It never lasted. And it always led me to a binge eventually. It just, it was not realistic. I did not want to admit that I was bodily and mentally different, but I am, and I will always be different. I will have this disease one day at a time, for the rest of my life, and I have to accept that. I must. Um, countless vain attempts to prove that I could drink like other people. Always trying new diets. Always thinking this time it'll work. And it never worked. Nothing ever worked. Somehow, someday, I will control and enjoy my drinking. 
if I am controlling what I'm eating, I am not enjoying it. That If I'm trying to control it, that means I'm on a diet. If I'm enjoying my eating, I'm binging, so I'm definitely not controlling it. A great obsession. I was completely obsessed, always either on a diet or binging. What was I eating? What was I not eating? How is my food affecting my weight? Uh, how often was I going to the gym? How big was I? Could I go to this event? No, because I didn't like how I looked. My entire life revolved around how big was I? How did I look? That was it. It was a very, very small life, unfortunately. I, you know, I have a lot of compassion for the woman that I was, for the girl that I was growing up who literally her entire life revolved around her food and her weight. The persistence of this illusion is astonishing. Yes, like Harlan said, you know, Harlan is a very hard act to follow, but I'm doing the best I can. The persistence of this illusion is astonishing. Yes, it is an illusion. It's something that I think is real that's not. And I thought that I could control it. I always thought that there was another answer, that there was a magic pill, that there was a magic diet that would fix me, that I just hadn't found it yet, that there were all these people out there that might have the answer somewhere in the world that I just had to keep on looking. Many pursue into the gates of insanity or death. My God, I was beyond insane and death I was I was dying I was the walking dead I was not in life I was not alive I was slowly killing myself thank you so much for letting me share with that I pass thank you Roanne M Um, and before Melissa um, is up I just want to remind everybody where we're reading we're on page 30 Uh, Chapter 3, more about alcoholism, and we're reading the first paragraph. And Melissa C., you're up, followed by Rita K. Hi, thank you. It's Melissa C., recovered compulsive overeater in New York. And, um, God, you know, I just wanted a pass as normal. You know, from my whole life, I always felt different. I knew that the way I ate was different. Um, I knew the way that I looked at most of the time was different. Um, And I just wanted to be like everybody else. Um, And admitting that I wasn't was crushing, you know. So I had like countless vain attempts. And when I look at like the word vain, you know, it's pointless, right? I had these pointless attempts because um, they didn't work. You know, and so I kept trying to prove like I was like other people, like I could eat like other people and look like other people. So I did things that were pointless, things that didn't work, and I knew deep down they didn't work because I'd done them so many times that, you know, I couldn't even count anymore. They were countless, and I just kept going back to them. You know, and the other thing is that um, these attempts were vain. You know, it was having an incredibly high opinion of my appearance, um, an incredibly high 
um, focus on my ability and my worth. That's vanity, you know. And so all of my attempts were about how it would look, you know, preserving an outward image, creating this image um, that, you know, I wanted to put the food down, but I really didn't want to put it down because I didn't want to eat. I wanted to put it down because I wanted to look normal. I didn't want to look morbidly obese. I didn't want to look heavy. I didn't want to look out of control in front of you. Um, You know, I wanted to seem like I was together. I wanted to seem like I was valuable and attractive. And, you know, um, none of these attempts were about to improve the quality of relationships in my life. You know, Um, it was not so I could repair the harms. Like, I never thought about putting the food down so that I could be a more loving and caring human being. You know, um, it was only on what you would think of me, you know, only um, all about me. And so no wonder why it didn't work. There was no value here. You know, the, the knowing that I'm like other people, the fully accepting that I'm like other people, that I'm not like other people is hugely freeing because today it allows me to go places and I can advocate for myself because I have a disease. I know I have a disease. It's deadly. It means I can't live spontaneously with food because guess what? I have this. And the more you accept it, the more willing, at least for me, I was to follow the steps so that I could live in freedom. Thank you. With that, I'll pass. Thank you, Melissa C. And Rita K., you're up, followed by Matt M. Good morning. My name is Rita Kay, and I'm recovered in Kansas. You know, uh, at the top of this chapter, at some point, I wrote um, a subtitle, Our Lives Have Become Unmanageable, because that's what this is all about, the unmanageability of our lives. And what I zero in on are those first three words, most of us. I also have written above that I am not alone, you know, because you know, uh, um, statistics can drive me crazy sometimes. You know, I hear, well, 5% of people are this and 10%, and I always wonder, so am I in that 5 or am I that 3%? That's a really small percent. I must be sick about, you know, but this is just, just, he just puts it out there. Most of us have been unwilling to admit we were real compulsive overeaters. And so most of us on this phone, most of us in the rooms, most of us who go to meetings around the country, at some point or another, and even today, most of us are unwilling to admit that we really, you know, we still go back out and, and do more research, you know, and we, and we say, well, maybe I can have this as a part of my food plan. Maybe I can add this back in. You know, I haven't binged on this in three years, so maybe – so. Once again, we're not willing to admit. And if there's one thing that all the sponsors that I've had down through the years in many different types of rooms of Overeaters Anonymous, if there's one thing that they have not been, they have not been able to do, and that's to make me willing. You know, so we have that unwillingness that's a part of our psyche. And this tells us that we are not alone. Most of us think this way. And that's why this chapter is starting out that way. And this chapter is going to continue to describe us because most of us are in this, are in this boat. That's why we're on this phone. There are some people on this phone who are not real compulsive overeaters. 
And I understand that. But this is telling us that most of us have been unwilling to admit. And I need to remember that unwillingness as a part of my history because very, very quickly, you know, back into the food, I become unwilling again. You know, even before I get back, and that's what my mind is doing. But being unwilling to admit, and today I'm willing. So I'm glad that I have written at the top of this, I am not alone. I'm glad everybody is here. Thanks for letting me share. Thank you, Rita Kay. And Matt M., your turn. Thank you, Lee. Thank you, Lisa, for your service. Good morning, everyone. This is Matt M. Compulsive Over Eater from New Jersey. Yeah, more about alcoholism. I have a definition for alcoholism. It says an addiction to the consumption of alcohol or liquor or the mental illness and compulsive behavior resulting from alcohol dependency. You know, it's true. Like, you know, I have a compulsive overeating issue. I, I have a, a chemical uh, dependency on food. I want that food like I want, like, like, like an alcoholic wants liquor. <laughs> and I use the food in the same way. I want to soothe the aches. I want to soothe over the hurts that are going on in my life. You know, and I want to soothe over the boo-boos. You know, that's why I would order out food because I want to, like, make the boo-boos go away. But, you know, they never do go away. It always compounded the issue because I would have two problems. I would have compulsive overeating. I would pick up. And then I had the mental twist and the, and the physical allergy. So it's like, um, you know, one of these things, like, you know, I'm glad this chapter's here because it teaches us, you know, Sometimes in myself, when I start to lose the weight, when I'm losing weight, I start to say to myself, maybe I'm not a real compulsive overeater. But I didn't get up to 700, almost 700 pounds because I wasn't a compulsive overeater. I definitely am a real, true compulsive overeater. I know what this obsession can do to you. I know what it, can, it has the power to kill. You know, and um, I've seen many people pass from the scene that the sponsor of mine who died from this illness, you know, she was unwilling to get help from a doctor, and she was very stubborn not going to the doctors when she got sick. And she she never got physical recovery. I, I noticed from her, and I noticed it was really a shame. And I realized for myself, I have to um, really work on this program in order, and the physical recovery will take care of itself. Keep the food, put the food down, keep the food down. That's why I have to leave it down, or else I can't work the program. You know, I can't I can't work the steps when I'm high on sugar. I can't work the steps when I just stuffed myself at McDonald's last night. And I, not that I did, I didn't do that, but you know what I mean. And... Um, it's a miracle that I, I don't have the willingness, don't have the out, don't have the willingness to do that right now. I don't want to pick up the food. I just want to pick up the steps. So with that, I'll pass. Thank you. Thank you, Matt M. And just a reminder, we are on page thirty, beginning chapter three, more about alcoholism. Most of us have been unwilling and ending uh, with gates of insanity or death. Commenting on that one paragraph, and who else would like to share? Mary Kay. Okay, hang on. (laughs) I heard somebody from Texas, Larry Kay, Carol G. Ross M. Miriam L. Rasa R. Okay, just a second. I'm going to. Who was from Texas? Holly S. from Texas. Thank you. Okay, Holly. (laughs) All right, so let me tell you this is what I have. Holly S., Larry K., Carol G., Edini, and Russ M. Let's just go with those, and we'll see how far we get. Holly S., you're up. Hi, good morning. Thank you for your service. I'm just so grateful to be a part of Vision for You. And um, I am, I'm just going to share, I'm 48 years old, and I came into the doors of OA as a sophomore in high school. and 
I don't think I heard much about the allergy of the body and the obsession of the mind. I did hear, you know, sugar could probably be a problem and white flour could probably be a problem. Um, and and I just I just didn't want to admit that I was different. I I grew up in a church that food functions were just part of a weekly thing. It, it, there was always something to do with food. And I and I would go to these events and and then I'd act out and I'd go. I I just act differently around food. Why do why why does so and so? Why can they eat and, and look the way they do? And you know they don't seem to have a problem pushing things away. And I just couldn't. I just couldn't push things away. I I just would have to take another sliver. I would just have to adjust the crust. I would just have to have another piece and then adjust the crust again. And and then I would just have to have another piece because the thing was almost all gone. And well, it's not going to matter. I'll just eat the whole thing. And and life was just like that every day, every day. And I shared with my sponsor not too long ago that you know I I just I felt suicidal. I I just got so sick in my head and so sick physically um, that that was an option. And I'm so grateful. Um, you know, I, I have, you know, I still have some work to do. I'm, I'm not recovered, but I'm in the process. And I'm so grateful that I'm in a community where people are being honest about what's going on. What is the problem? The problem is I'm a compulsive overeater. And from there, I can, I can work out these solutions, um, hearing from everyone on the line. And I'm just so grateful. And, and I thank you all for your service. And with that, I'll pass. Thank you, Holly S. And Larry Kay, you're up, followed by Carol G. Thanks so much for your service. Can you hear me okay? I can, uh-huh. Okay, good, good, good. Larry Kay, recovered compulsive reader from Chicago. I'm in the car. I just wanted to chime in. I, um, you know, this, this disease, uh, it's no joke. It's no joke. It'll, it'll kill you. Um, it reminded me, I used to work with this uh, gentleman he came to me, he was in his um, mid-40s, and he was, uh, he was a vice president of marketing for this large company, a company you've all heard of, and he was, he was the top dog in the marketing department there, and he was in his mid-40s, and he came to see me, and unfortunately, this gen- gentleman at a young age was struck with uh, some form of macular degeneration. If you know what that is, it was he was going blind. He was slowly going blind. And slowly but surely, and the doctors assured him that he better take some, some preparation. Some of it was psychological in nature. He had to go um, uh, uh, and get a... Um, go for some training with a, with, a, with a dog, a seeing eye dog, and so forth. There was lots of different steps. He was married, um, children, and so forth. There was all kinds of issues, and they, they assured him that he would be blind within, within about a year, and, it, and, the, and the light would slowly diminish, and eventually he would be completely blind. Do you know there's no denying when you go blind? It's impossible to deny that you have a disease where the light is going to go out. I, can't, I, I couldn't walk in his shoes. 
I don't know what it's like to go blind. This disease is a, is a disease that we can die. The, the National Institute of Health says that about 300,000 people per year will die from the epidemic of obesity. If you, if you think you're safe, if you, uh, if you are um, anorexic or bulimic, you're not. <laughs> Believe me, there's people on this line that spend more time vomiting and taking laxatives and, uh, you know, than they did than they have been in recovery. That's the leading cause of death for psychiatric illnesses is some sort of eating disorder like anorexia, bulimia. You're not safe. But nobody, their death certificate is not going to read if you're morbidly obese that you died of morbid obesity, you died of Oreos and milk duds and pizza and so forth. No, it's going to, it's going to talk about cardiac issues, uh, effects of diabetes and so forth. Why is it that we deny this disease? I don't know. I don't know why we deny. This gentleman couldn't deny that he was going blind. The thing is we have a solution. It's a spiritual solution. It's spiritual in nature. And, and you know what? I've rarely seen a person fail who's thoroughly followed this path. In fact, I never have. You may be the first, but I've never seen someone fail who has thoroughly followed this path. Time. You don't have to go blind. You don't have to go blind. Thank goodness I can see. Thanks so much. With that, I pass. Thanks. Thank you, Larry Kay. And Carol G., you're up, followed by Edini. I think it's M. Thank you. Good morning, Vision for You. It's Carol G. Recovered uh, in the UK. And uh, I'm really grateful to be here this morning. What a wonderful meeting. And it's right on the page that I was reading when I got up this morning. Welcome to your day, everybody. Once an alcoholic mind, always an alcoholic mind. Um, so the first question it offers me on the front of at the beginning of this is, um, what is it that I'm not willing to admit today? Um, that paragraph, just at the end of the paragraph, they start talking about how um, I have to look at this presently. So what is it that I'm currently doing? Because if I'm rethinking the last 30 years of insanity, I'm not going to be able to see what's going on with me currently. I really have to stay in, stay in that moment. One of the things that stuck out for me in the reading this morning was um, how, I've, how I've been in pursuit in pursuit of absolutely everything because whilst food was in pursuit of me from the inside out I was always pursuing something a great life um, a, a great status money um, boyfriend whatever it was I was a power seeker the delusion that I've been living in uh, was just was basically because I was a power seeker because from day one in my life the minute my life began I realized I didn't have the power to live the way I wanted to live I didn't have the power to live and be who I actually am. I was always wanting to be someone else other than myself. And in a way, I then pursued all the thin sponsors, all the all the fabulous things that I could see around me. And I just went into delusion after delusion after delusion. But eventually, when I worked through this program with a recovered sponsor, that pursuing and that seeking and that forcing, just trying to find some peace, just just became mine it became a gift it was something that had always been there but I couldn't find it because I was so busy pursuing and seeking and there were so many delusions to be smashed but I love how they invite us immediately to to ask ourselves questions that if we want the freedom if we want the peace of mind if we want to be free of that torture every single day of our alcoholic mind trying to twist and send us back to the food 
first I, I just have to just presently look at the illusion that I'm in today. Just take today, just take this moment, just sit there quietly. That's what I have to do. Whenever I'm in doubt, I sit quietly. I'm just so grateful that so many people have so many different views about the way in which this paragraph reads. And it, it's just so rich, so powerful, so wonderful. It's the only power that I need today in my life, that and the higher power. Thank you, and I'll pass. I'll, I'll end with that. And have a great day, everybody. Thank you, Carol G. And Edini, if you'll remind me of the first initial of your last name, followed by Russ M. Good morning. It's M. Edini M. Thank you. Thank you for your service. Hmm. Good morning, my spiritual brothers and sisters. My name is Edini M. from New York, and I'm a very grateful, recovered, compulsive overeater. Thank you, God. Always giving credit where credit is due. You know, I love this chapter, just like every other chapter, but this chapter, it talks about it talks about the tr- the tr- the crux of the problem. It speaks the truth. And the truth always sets us free. You know, this this talks about how my mind works and how it doesn't work. It explains why I needed this program, why I needed the steps. But for the longest time, I was unwilling to admit the truth that I was so different from my family, from my friends. Why is it that I always wanted to do the opposite of what I was doing? It just didn't make sense. So I I avoided the truth. I ran away from the truth. I buried the truth. I was living in denial for so long. And living in denial ate me alive. I couldn't breathe. I was very dismissive. I would minimize my problems. I would try to justify it and make all these excuses. And I would be living in my stories, all lies. And therefore, I was living a lie. I was not living in reality. I wasn't living in the now where God resides. I was disconnected and I was lost. But not admitting my problem, you know, I had buried myself deeper into my hole, and I allowed that abyss to swallow me up. And what have I accomplished by doing that? (laughs) Buried myself even deeper into my problem. And I worked so hard trying to keep a certain image of myself the way I wanted to look and be. Well, that didn't work for me. I was in denial because I was avoiding my pain. I didn't want to admit what I was afraid of, being so different, and that was very painful. What's wrong with me? I never honored my feelings. I never honored my body. I never honored myself or others. And what is this about? This is all about control, wanting to control what was controlling me. And I had to have the willingness to see that and the truth of what was keeping me in bondage. And it's about growing up and facing reality and taking responsibility. On top of page 18, it speaks the truth we have come to believe it's an illness. What are my obstacles? You know, self-centered and selfishness. To learn not to compare but to identify You know, when I compare, it's my ego. But when I identify, oh my goodness, that's God. Two different energies. The truth never hurts me. 
It is only fear that keeps me in the lies. The truth empowers me, and it feeds my heart and soul and my well-being. Thank you, God, that the truth has been revealed, and it has set me free. I pass. Thank you, Adini M. And Russ M., your turn. Can I be heard? Yes, go ahead. Good morning. Thank you for your service, moderator. This is Russ M., compulsive, recovered compulsive overeater outside of Philly. So, uh, the more and more we go through the big book, the more and more I apply to my life. You know, the truth comes out. And uh, just listening to this passage, it's like, you know, I flash back to my childhood that I knew from a young age. I don't know why. You know, I've been real critical of myself when I was, I'm not perfect, but, you know, there was a lot of truth that I used to hammer myself with, and I knew that I was not like someone else when it came to truth. And, you know, honestly, that's when the fight was on. From a very young age, I've been battered, beat up. And, uh, you know, emasculated were, you know, stolen from, stolen from, I would say. This this disease robbed me of my friendships, robbed, robbed me of sports that I love to play, friendships, and this is my whole life until it started threatening my family, until I couldn't control myself to the point where it was affecting my wife, my kids, my mother, my in-laws, and it had to stop. You know, it just, how can, how could I be of service to others throughout my life when this disease had took, taken over me? And I'm not saying I'm not responsible for my actions. I am. I'm saying that I, I, I was in such a defensive mode because of this disease. I couldn't manage life. You know, I was lying. I was BSing. You know, I'm a doctor. I did it. It's all, it was all crap. It was all for my ego to help me get to the next meal or help me just get to the next day without killing myself or, or, or dying because of this disease. And, uh, you know, it just evoked all these different emotions reading this because I couldn't fake it. I didn't have the capability of saying I can get away with this and I can eat this way in front of people because I was screwed up. I had no, no control at all. And in a way, in a way, the disease is a blessing to me because I found this program. If I ain't sick, I ain't here with you guys. If I ain't sick, I can't. I can't fix the damage I did. You know, this is giving me awareness. God, God blessed me with this program and even the disease. So, bottom line, my point was, it's just, you know, it beat me up pretty good and. Now I'm playing catch-up trying to take care of things that I did for 44 years. So I can do it. We can do it. We got the program. So sorry to be in a roundabout rough and play play today. I apologize. But, you know, I just find such strength with this program and each and every one of you on the line because I don't know where I would be. I know it's a cliche, but I'm sitting here in my parking lot in my office. I'm thinking, like, where the heck would I be if I didn't have you guys? You know, I have the 12 Nine. steps. And I, and Sorry about that. Y'all have a great day. Much love and respect. Thank you, Russ M. 
Um, it looks like we might have time for two two-minute shares, if anyone wants to share. Lasa O. Lasa O. Carmela D. Okay, perfect. Um, you each have two minutes. Lasa O, you're up, followed by Carmela D. Thank you. Good morning, everyone. Thank you, Lisa, for your service. And I'm Vasa, grateful, grateful, recovered, compulsive over here, calling from Florida. I, um, I fought this food for about for many, 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 many years before I came to Overeaters Anonymous, and I've shared this many times. I had no clue that the food was a disease. I had no clue. I had the allergy. I did not much. Did not. Didn't know much about the mental obsession. Although looking back, yeah, because I tried to control the food, controlled my life. And uh, I was really willing. By this time, like, I had hit bottom. There was nothing more I could try that I hadn't tried before, maybe a couple other things, but I was afraid to do it. And it just did not work. I, I could put the food down for a little while, but I always picked it up. I could never keep it down. And it is by the grace of God that I was, I was ready. I was ready and willing to, to admit I was powerless over the food because it was going to just kill me if I kept them going and doing what I was doing. And I saw my family members gradually dying from heart disease, diabetes, emphysema, addicted to, uh, to cigarettes. Oh, my God, it was just all around me. But I had no clue. I didn't know what to do. And I was led. In God, I thank God my higher power which I call today, God, that I was led into Overeaters Anonymous. And uh, I remember praying, which I hardly ever prayed in my lifetime before. I mean, I did, but not that much. I remember reaching out and saying, God, please, if you're out there, help me. I didn't know why. I, it was just my life was unmanageable. I was living with life and stress and food. And I was Time. letting i wrap it up. I was like, this is the answer to my problem. The solution is right here, and there's more to be revealed. I thank God I've stayed all these years. Thank you, and pass. Thank you, Vasa O. And Carmela D., you're up. Hi, this is Carmela G. from New York. Um, I am a grateful, recovered, compulsive overeater, uh, and the word grateful is the operative word today because this program Yesterday, I I just had so much joy that I would have been denied if I had stayed in my own denial. And that's where I was, my arrogance, um, the defect that I would lie to myself, that facade that I had to project, that I could handle it all, including the food and the decades that I, I just, could do it. I could do it. I was different. Uh, everybody else was sick, but I was normal. And that lie, I even lied basically to my higher power because I told him, don't worry, I got it. And now, today, the deflation of ego and the gift that we can reach our hand out and help another, no matter where they are in this 
country or out of the country and that we can walk and be in a meeting and be a living example because we're living in the steps. That is the gift of program, and that is what I am so grateful for every day. And for that, I pray, give me another 24 hours, God, please, to be the person you want me to be. Thank you so much for allowing me to share. Thank you, Carmela G., and thank you to everyone who shared today. The share ID for today, Wednesday, February 21st, 7 a.m. Eastern Time Meeting is 11,076. That's 11076. We will now close with the reading from the big book on page 164, followed by the serenity prayer. And will Maura Z please read A Vision for You? Our book is meant to be suggested only. Yes, thank you, Lisa. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order, but obviously you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right, and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is the great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you until then.